All right, good morning, church family. Good morning, good to see you guys. Come on, if you're thankful that Jesus is on the throne, let's make some noise for him this morning. Love worshiping with you guys. I'm excited about this series called Church Signs. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about some phrases that maybe some of us have seen on some of these church signs. How many of y'all grew up in a church that had a church sign? You had a church marquee, okay? Uh, how many of y'all, you were nervous every single week what somebody might be putting on that thing, right? Because you wanted to be able to invite your friends to church and be confident about that. Well, uh, traditionally speaking, these church signs, these marquees were used for churches to put these punny sayings on there. And, and as a means of drawing attention, trying to get people interested in potentially coming to their church. And so we're, we're going to talk through some of these phrases and the potential misconceptions that some of them might bring into people's lives. But I wanted to look at some of the ones that I found off the interwebs this last week. Uh, we got this one first, uh, without the bread of life, you're toast. Okay. And I, <laughs> that's really encouraging. Uh, we got this next one. I'm also making a list and checking it twice. God. No, no way, they get worse. Feeling cold, come on in and feel the warmth of the sun. <laughs> you know people got saved because of that. Hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. <laughs> All right. God loves you more than Kanye loves Kanye. Now that one. <laughs> the Lutherans, they got something going there. Come on. All right. Church parking only violators will be baptized. It's just so bad, just horrible. So the one we're gonna focus on today, don't make me come down there, God. Now this one's not as lighthearted in my opinion. It's, it's a little bit more serious. So the sad thing is that some of us have grown up with an idea and a concept of relationship with God where we believe that. We believe that, that God is just waiting around in heaven, waiting to pounce at some mistake that we make, looking for us to, to blow it, looking for us to sin. Like, like God's up there, he's like, like, can't wait to take his belt off to give us a whipping because of something we did. How many of you growing up, you guys got some whippings growing up? Come on now, okay. Uh, how many of y'all, your parents would give permission to your grandmother to spank you? Okay, but the problem was when you were at grandma's, the paddle wasn't there, right? So what you have to do, go get a switch. Go find a switch, right? And that was the worst thing. I mean, because you go get a switch, you bring it back, it wasn't sufficient. She'd make you go get another one and it just get more and more intense. But everybody probably had different weapons of mass destruction that were used on them growing up. Uh, how many of y'all, your, your parents would just use a shoe? Come on, the flip-flop. Now, that, 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 that one came in, in, in numbers. It wasn't just one swat. That was like multiple. I mean, the machine gun method, right? That just come at you. Just keep, keep hitting you. Uh, how many of y'all, you had uh, the belt? Anybody, the belt? Okay, that was my dad's preferred choice. Uh, uh, how many of y'all uh, had some sort of specialized, custom-made, engineered paddle, okay? Right, that's what we got in my house. It's custom made, it's engineered, it's, it's hand carved out of a piece of gopher wood uh, from the ark. Not really. It's completely godly. Uh, 
But, but all of us have probably, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us, we, we grew up around the idea of, of getting in, in trouble, being equivocated to that kind of discipline. I, I remember my mom, uh, one time she was spanking me with a wooden spoon. And I just laughed at her. Like, <laughs> how many of y'all know that's a mistake? Because <laughs> dad's going to be home soon. <laughs> and he ain't going to think it's funny. But uh, she broke a lot of wooden spoons on my hind parts. And it never really was all that effective. Uh, a lot of you, the younger people in the room, you can't relate to this. But when I was growing up, teachers, principals, coaches could spank you. Okay. So, and, uh, and, and it was cool because they had like this paddle with like holes drilled through it. And after they get done spanking, you'd sign it like you just joined some sort of elite club, <laughs> right? And then they'd varnish it so that your, number, your name was permanently etched in history as some disciplined issue. Don't let me come down there. As much as we have tried to unlearn this, I think it's often the way that we see God as him being this angry person. And so because of this, a lot of times we come to church because we don't want God to come down here. We come to church because, not because we want to come and enjoy his presence and worship him and experience fellowship with the body of Christ. We come to church because if I don't go to church, I just don't want God to come down here and get me. Or maybe we pray because we don't want God to come down here. We'd rather try to have this picture like we're just going to throw prayers at this distant, disconnected God that's somewhere up in the cosmos and hope that it, my prayers please him just enough that he doesn't come down here with his judgment and wrath on my life. Or a lot of times we're maybe just trying to make the right decisions because we don't want God to come down here and often our heart isn't even in it at all, but we do it because we want to get into heaven, not because of relationship. Now, I do want to throw out this disclaimer. I understand that we need to have a healthy fear and reverence and respect for who God is. We do have to understand that we should be broken in our hearts when we're apart and away from God because being separated from God is, is one of the most discouraging and depressing things that any person could experience. And we get that there, there are mistakes that we make and those mistakes have consequences in our lives, but we also have to understand that we can do nothing without his grace. But some of us have a view of God that is way too angry and way too mean. A.W. Tozer said it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, if you close your, mind, your eyes right now, if, if God could come and sit in the seat next to you and his glory didn't kill you, if he could come and present himself in physical form and you could ask him, God, what do you think about me? Your answer to that question is driving the course of your life. It's gonna determine a lot for you and your perspective of just how you see God. So today we're going to be in John 8, and we're going to read about a woman who got caught. A woman who got caught in sin. How many of you ever got caught before, just busted? I mean, just straight up busted. Don't lie in church, God will kill you, okay? Come on, how many of y'all ever got caught before? Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all just got caught. 
because you wouldn't admit you got caught. Uh, how many of you guys ever got pulled over before? Okay. How many of y'all are just, it's not that you're bad drivers, you're aggressive drivers. How many aggressive drivers? Come on, we're defensive drivers. Our feet are heavy in order to avoid danger, right? It's like if I'm just faster than all the danger, then I'm good. And I mean, that, I, I kind of understand that. And so one time I, I was actually on my way to a church meeting. I was on my way to a church meeting, right? And the word says that the kingdom of God is violently advancing and violent men lay hold of it. And I did not want to be late to that because I want to be one of those people that's laying a hold of the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? And so I was driving a little fast, uh, probably 13, 14 over. And I got pulled over, state trooper pulled me over. And when you get pulled over, you know that feeling in your stomach, you know, just that, that feeling. You're not sure if you want to cry or get angry or it's just a lot of emotions that you're experiencing there. But you got to start making some decisions like, how am I now going to present myself to this officer? Because you know that depending on how you present yourself to this officer, it could change the whole dynamic really quickly. And so uh, I immediately went to one of the things that I feel fairly confident helps me in light of having influence with our law officers, and that is my concealed carry license. And so I had that and my driver's license. And so when the officer walked up, I wasn't going to pretend like I wasn't speeding. I knew that I was speeding. And I rolled down the window and I said, Hello, officer. I'm very sorry to have to take up some of your time today. I know that's an inconvenience to you. I'm sure you're not working towards a quota. I was saying that in my heart. I was saying that in my heart. Not, not out loud. Uh, and I handed my license and my concealed carry. And I said, yes, sir. I, I have my Glock 26 right over there in the glove compartment. I just want to let you know about that. And usually I feel pretty confident that that's going to indicate, oh, he's on my team. Like we're... We're basically the same person. <laughs> Didn't work. So, so I could see that it wasn't working. So then I had to make a decision. And I went kingdom on him. <laughs> Officer, the reason why I was speeding is because I'm actually on my way to a church meeting. <laughs> he didn't care. He just kept writing that ticket. And so then I was like, I bet, I bet, you, I bet this is the first time you've ever written a ticket to a pastor. And he said, you'd be surprised. <laughs> and I was like, no, I wouldn't be. I know how we drive. <laughs> oh, he didn't care. Uh, so he just, he wrote me that ticket and he handed it to me. I was just like, oh, so he's walking off. I just yelled out the window, praying for you. <laughs> Joking. I didn't do that. I didn't do that part. But it sinks when you're caught. Uh, but I think how you respond to being caught makes a lot of the difference. But your perspective of who caught you also determines a lot. Everybody's been caught. And, and in John 8, there was this woman who was caught. And Jesus had to come down here. And help it. John 8, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. 
As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her down in front of the crowd. Now, you have to understand that Jesus was nice to almost everybody when he was here, but he was pretty stern to this group of people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of religious law. And the Pharisees were this religious group. They, were, they adhered to all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament law. But they were known for being self-righteous and prideful and hypocritical. And so that's, that's who Jesus is dealing with right here. They say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, actually, the law of Moses says that the man and the woman should be stoned to death. So my question is, where's the dude in all this? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing. I wonder if the dude might have been one of them. I don't know. We don't know that. It goes on to say, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The truth is they didn't care about this woman. The Pharisees did not care about this woman. They're just trying to trap Jesus. Because no matter which way to them he answered it, they were going to have him. Because if he says, you're right, the law says killer, stoner, then it would ruin his reputation for grace. But if he gave her a pass and just said, no, just forgive her, then they would have trapped him in not obeying the law. So, but Jesus is pretty smart because he's God. So he got out of that trap. This is an amazing story about how Jesus sees us when we make mistakes. And as he's out here and he's teaching this crowd, the Pharisees come and bring this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, how utterly humiliating, embarrassing that would be. Just the shame that she was experiencing. But the way that Jesus responds can teach us a lot about God's heart for us. So let's take some notes, some observations from this story. First of all, Jesus wants religion away from your life. Now some of you are thinking, why would God want religion away from my life? Isn't religion a good thing? Like I thought that was a good thing. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Religion is motivated by fear. Christianity is motivated by love. Religion is focused on what you do. Christianity is focused on what Jesus did. And so there's a big difference between these two things. Now, I know conceptually religion seems to be a good thing, but the mindset that often comes with it is the very thing that keeps so many people from truly understanding who God is. The Pharisees plan was to kill this woman. Jesus' plan was to forgive her. The truth was they both wanted, both groups wanted the same thing. They wanted this woman to stop sinning. But their perspective in their heart was completely different. 
I think we have to be careful that we don't adopt or carry around the same religious attitude that these people were dealing with. And sometimes as Christians, we get really good at being good and we think that everyone should be good like we're good, but the Bible says that no one is good. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Raise your hand if you're part of all. Okay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And any good that comes out of us, you have to understand anything good that comes out of us, it's only from God and his grace. Even even people who don't know the Lord, even people who aren't Christians, if they do good things, it's still only coming from a place of God creating this in them, even though they don't understand who created them. It's only because of God. It's not our good or anything that we can do on our own. So I want to just point out some things to let you know when you're being religious. And, And I will preface this by saying, this can be a struggle for me. I, raised in a, I was raised in a, in a pretty performance-based environment <clears throat> where it felt like the love and acceptance that I would receive was, was in large part dependent upon whether or not I was obeying the rules. And so even coming into ministry <clears throat> for a long time, I struggled with a religious critical mindset towards people. And so you can know that I, I'm, I'm right there with you if these are some areas that maybe you still struggle with, some ways that you know you're being religious, when you judge people who sin differently than you. So you may say, yeah, I sin, uh, but I, I don't sin the really bad sins. I only sin the good sins. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all sin. We judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions, like I, I, I know what I intended, so that's what makes it better. But then we harshly judge people by what we see are their actions. And only the Holy Spirit knows what's really going on. And I find that oftentimes, when it comes to our own sin, instead of looking in the mirror, we're picking up a magnifying glass. And, and, and the word of God is very clear that we are, we are responsible and accountable to how we reflect the image of Jesus Christ, not whether or not somebody else is in doing that. Uh, another way that you can know is when you're trying to fix people. Good luck with that. You're going to get really tired and worn out trying to do that um, because I, it just doesn't work. It's not our job to fix. It's our job to love. When you focus on what you know instead of how you live. We know people that know right from wrong, but we don't necessarily want to be like them because of how judgmental they are. The Bible is meant not only to inform, but to transform. And you know some people that know a lot about the Bible and know a lot about theology. But they haven't been transformed by the living word of God and how it changes people. The world doesn't need better educated sinners. The world needs transformed Christ followers. When you focus on the outside instead of on the inside, 
our outward works address behavior, but they do not address our heart. And our heart has to be addressed. It's, it's possible to do a lot of right things with the wrong heart. And so we've got to get that right too. When you measure your worth by your works. You, when you wind up thinking that your worth is in what you do, you're going to miss God's plan. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift. And when you value rules over relationships, that's another way you can know you're being religious. There was a lot of rules in the Old Testament. Um, over 600, in fact. And uh, some of them, most of us could handle. Okay, Here's a few that most of us would agree with. Do not eat a weasel, rat, lizard, Gecko or chameleon? Check. No problem there. Do not burn honey or yeast on the altar. No problem. Do not withhold food, clothing, and sexual relations from your wife. Double check. Do not have sex with your mom, sister, daughter, daughter-in-law, aunt, grandchild, or any of the animals. Check, 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 check. No problem. But then the rules start getting a little more complicated. Men must not shave their hair or the sides of their head or shave their beards with a razor. Uh-oh, watch out, hipsters. Come on now. You're in trouble. Did some stuff. No tattoos. Guilty. If you make a vow, you must follow through with it. Uh-oh. Do not walk past the poor and not give them anything. Deuteronomy 15.7. Whoops. Don't gossip. Leviticus 19.16. Don't hold a grudge. Don't take revenge. Respect your father and mother. Oh, don't go there, God. <laughs> and the only way to get rid of the sin, because it was impossible to follow all of these rules, the only way to cover your sin is you had to sacrifice animals, right? So you call up your friend Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, um, are you on your way over, right? Hey, do you mind picking up a lamb? Yeah, because I just got a new haircut, got a fresh fade. Uh, I got to get right with God. So <laughs> if you don't mind, we're just going to have to. I'm, I'm looking forward to hanging out, but there's going to be some blood first, okay? In order to please God, people tried to be perfect, and it didn't work. The Bible says, though, in Romans, that the reason why God set up the Old Testament in history is so that it was completely clear that we didn't have what it took to be perfect, so that we would understand that we need help, we need grace, we need mercy. The law paved the way for our need for a savior. Rules were meant to lead us into a relationship with God. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. Man, I'm just telling you, a religious spirit is heavy. It is heavy and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Man, I, I find the people that have a religious spirit, man, they're just, 
They're not teachable people. Um, they really think that they're right on a lot of stuff. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus wants religion away from your life. Jesus also wants to get grace in the middle of your life. Jesus was trying to get the religious people away from her so she could be forgiven. And, and they're, they're saying, look, I understand that she's an adulterer, but I'm not going to condemn her. Some of you are living life stiff-arming a God that doesn't exist. You're living life stiff-arming a God that you think is, can't wait to condemn you and judge you. So actually, I've got really good news for you. That God that you've been trying to stiff-arm, he doesn't even exist. That's not who God is. It says in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So what did Jesus see when he looked in the eyes of this woman? Well, he didn't see a promiscuous woman. He didn't see a woman whose life was over. He didn't see some loser. He saw his daughter who needed grace. And that's what he was coming to give her. It's important that we understand this passage I just read in Ephesians. It's, it's important that we understand God's heart and the way that he works and how he treats us when we're caught. The way that he handles our sin. If you don't get grace, you won't fully ever get God. You'll, you'll miss it. It's a sad place to live. If grace is in the middle of your life, though, you're, it's going to really start to make sense. And your relationships and the way you interact in life is just its going to make a lot more sense. Our understanding of grace empowers works, not the other way around. Works don't empower grace. It's our understanding and acceptance of grace that empowers us to want to do good works. Our comprehension of grace enables us to truly live for God. You're going to work really hard and you're going to try to be really smart and tough for a long time. But that is not what is going to empower you to live for God. It's got to be his grace. A revelation of grace also helps us to give grace to others. If you don't have that, you're going to live in a place of bitterness and resentment, which is also exhausting. God wants religion out of your life. He wants grace in the middle of it. God does want sin to leave your life. Jesus wants sin to live your life, but, but the why is what's most important. The reason why he wants sin to leave your life is because sin will destroy you. Sin also gives you an identity crisis. Anybody who is struggling in life, I find it ultimately boils down to that simple fact of an identity crisis on some level. When you know who you are in Christ, you know how God sees you. It's not that you never struggle, but the way you handle your struggles is completely different. And there's a freedom in it. There is joy, there is peace. Jesus offers freedom from sin. Verse 11, he said, go and sin no more. What if he had led with that? 
What if he had led with, okay, get up. This is embarrassing. Cover yourself up. Oh my gosh. I know, I know where you were. I know who you were with. Go and say no more. I'm convinced you probably would have gone right back into the same lifestyle. That wouldn't have motivated her at all. But that wasn't what she experienced first. She experienced complete and total acceptance and love and grace. And because of that, I can pretty much guarantee you she went and sinned no more. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to pay. And the Father heart of God is just broken when we are in that place. Not broken mad, broken for us. He hurts for us when we're in that place. Jesus was 100% truth and 100% grace. He's not 50-50, but he always led with the grace first. That's why the word says love must be sincere, period. Hate what is evil, period. The sincerity of love has to come first. God's not saying don't hate evil things. You just better make sure that you've loved the people who are in that evil before you ever try to point out the evil. You better, they better, they need to be convinced that you sincerely love them before you ever talk about how you're off. I try to do this with my kids. And most of us, I think we, we understand this part. So I go to Reeves. Reeves, I love you. You're the best. No more talking about farts, okay? Stop saying the word fart. Corbin, I love you. You're very smart. Please stop explaining what happens to your little sister Grayson's body when she's caught in a tornado. You're not helping anything. It's very scientific. I appreciate that, but you're only causing fear. I love you. You're awesome. You're smart. Stop it. Grayson, I love you. You're this strong, independent girl. Stop body slamming Reeves. It's not appropriate. Like... London, I love you. You're beautiful. Please stop walking into our room without knocking on the door. I promise this is going to lead to trauma in your life. And we can't afford that kind of therapy. We have to have grace and truth. And we have to make our grace much louder than our truth. You ever had anybody in your life that when they text you, they, they text you in all caps? Like it feels like the text is yelling at you. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay, they're really serious. Or they just use lots of explanation points all over the place. Throwing a few aggressive emojis to top it off. If your truth is all caps, your grace better be all caps too. Grace is truth. Truth is grace when it's done like Jesus.
So I'm gonna read some of these verses over you, and I think these are very powerful, all caps type verses. Romans 6, 6 through 11. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This woman who was caught, she thought that she would receive death. Little did she know that she was caught so that she would receive grace. That's what God wants us to see. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to just pray for anybody who um, struggles with a religious spirit. Just struggle that when you see the sin of our culture and of our world, it instead of it motivating a, a, a sense of love and compassion and, and a desire for people to made, be made whole, that instead it, it inspires frustration, anger, maybe even hate, maybe just this judgmental, critical spirit. And when you see people that struggle in different lifestyles, Instead of seeing God's heart that wants them to be healed and set free, you've just already written them off as being condemned. I don't know what it might be, but I know that there's a place of freedom, of freedom God wants you to experience. But the only way that you experience it truly is, is receiving. You can't give what you don't have. So the reason why you, have, you struggle with this religious spirit is, is truly because you haven't completely accepted how God sees you and how much he loves you. So if you're here today and you, you recognize it, you struggle with that. You struggle with having a religious spirit or just being able to accept God's grace and God's forgiveness and it's affecting the way that you treat others the way that you walk in relationships. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. You don't mind just putting your hand up right now. Let's just confess that before God. Let's just confess that we just struggle with that. We need God's grace. We need the freedom of his forgiveness. Leave those hands up. Father God, every person that's raising their hand, I pray that your grace would hit them right where they're at, right there in their chair, God. I pray for a supernatural revelation of just how much they are loved and accepted by their heavenly Father. God, I don't know what's caused the things that have caused these, these, these blinders to come over their eyes to keep them from seeing the way that you are, but I pray that anything that would be a hindrance would be removed in the name of Jesus. 
I know that sometimes it's because of other male figures or maybe even their dads and the way that they interacted with them. God, whatever the cause is right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that they would encounter their true heavenly father that they would know that they have never been loved any more or any less because of anything good or bad that they have ever done because you are love. You don't change in that. You don't fluctuate in your grace and forgiveness. You're not temperamental and unbalanced. You are fully grace and fully truth. And I pray that they would receive that right now. I pray for healing over the areas of their life that has caused this critical spirit, Lord. And I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus. What you did on the cross that we can accept that even while we were still sinners, the kind of love and grace you have for us was you still died even before we'd accept it. We thank you for that. You put your hands down. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want you to know that he loves you. And he's gonna love you the same, even if you make the decision not to accept him, he's still gonna love you. It breaks his heart that, to be separated from you. It breaks his heart that, that without relationship with you, you're gonna be separated from him. And it's gonna be very difficult for you and that there is an eternal price that, that will be paid if, if you don't have relationship with him. Because the word says that the only way to the Father, the only way to go to heaven is through his son, Jesus. Why? Because we're all sinners. Because we can't pay for that sin. Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice. It isn't anything good that you can do. It's simply accepting the goodness of Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you, you need to rededicate your life to him, you need to come back to him because you know you're just away from God. If you're away from God this morning, I wanna believe in prayer. And if you wanna be included in this prayer, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Yes, thank you, sir. Thanks for doing that, man. Appreciate your boldness, got it. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus, I see you. Anybody else? Got it, bro, thank you. Thank you. God is so good. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. Okay, awesome. Father God, I got it, thank you. Father God, I thank you for those few hands that were raised. I want you to know that God's meeting with you right now. And all you have to do is just talk with him. And just say something like this. Say, God, I, I don't understand how you could love me. I don't understand how you could forgive me, but I know that I need it. And I know that I've made a lot of mistakes, more than I can even count. But right now, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness. I don't wanna, I don't wanna be separated from you. Please save me. Please forgive me. And I thank you, God, that you don't just forgive me, but you give me a purpose. And, and, and I repent. I, I know that I can't keep living the way that I've been living if I want to experience everything that you have for me. 
And so I do, I stop and I turn away from living the way I've been living. And, but I'm not gonna focus on not doing the wrong things. I'm just gonna focus on you. I'm gonna focus on being your son, being your daughter and accepting your grace and love. And I know in that, you're also gonna help me understand my purpose. Thank you for that. Father God, I thank you for those, those few people that just said that prayer. I, I wanna encourage you, you need to go public with this decision. I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as this service is over, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. But I'll also encourage you to go public with it through water baptism. And next week you'll have an opportunity to do that. I'd encourage you, we'd love to celebrate this decision with you. Father God, help us to be a church that is known for our grace first, but that we also don't compromise truth because truth is grace. Grace is truth. We thank you for that. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I think we had five or six people give their life to Jesus today. Come on, let's give them some praise and glory for that, amen.